Welcome to the Disciple Dare, a four-week series to challenge you to discover what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. More info on the Disciple Dare can be found at ViennaSDA.org. Pastor Jennifer Deans shows you through stories from the Bible how living the dare will give you hope in troubled times and joy in life. In this message, The Sinful Nature of Man. Why is it that these days a, a movie or a TV show can't be good unless there's violence or cheating or some sort of scandal or something else? Why is it that um, people can watch you know, the news and not be affected at all by the, the bombers over across the sea? people getting annihilated. We hear stuff about people dying, and we're just like, hurry up, come on, get back to what I was watching. You know, why, how, how have we gotten this bad? How have we gotten to the point where people have um, serial monogamy? Um, instead of, you know, having multiple spouses at a time, they just marry one until they get bored, and then they divorce them and marry somebody else until they get bored, and then they marry somebody else and divorce them until they get bored. How do we end up in that situation? How do we end up where more than a third of the homes in America today are single-parent homes? How, how do we get here? Is that how we are created? Is that the way that we are designed to be? I'd like, I'd like for you to just imagine with me Go back and just just put on your imaginations and imagine with me that God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are sitting down and they're talking one day and they're saying, let's create earth. It's going to be so cool. And they begin to plan. And as they plan, they're like, and we're going, to put a, we're going to put a mountain here and a lake here and a waterfall there. And then they describe the different animals they're going to create. And so they're like, yes, it's a plan. Let's do it. And so they go down. And as they are in the middle of emptiness and in the middle of blackness, God speaks. And one by one, the light forms and the water forms. And God creates the whole earth. And through his voice, he begins to create. And it's magnificent. As he says, let there be vegetation. You see green grass like grow. And you see the vines begin to wind around the trees. And the flowers bloom instantly. And you see it just magically appear. And it's so beautiful. And it's so glorious. And Jesus is like, you know, I have something that this is going to top all of creation. And he's looking at God the Father, and he's looking at the Holy Spirit. And as he's looking at them, he gets down on his knees, and he begins to play in the dirt. And as he's playing in the dirt, he keeps looking up, and he looks at their faces, and then he meddles around. And then he looks up again, and then he goes back down into the dirt. And as they're watching over his shoulder, they see their image begin to form on the ground. They're like, that's cool. Jesus says, no, wait, this is even better. And he gets back down on the ground, and he leans down, and lip to lip, he blows into his dirt man. And all of a sudden, Adam wakes up, and the very first thing he sees is the face of Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, how you doing? He's like, Great! And he stands up, and God the Father and the Holy Spirit and Jesus, they all have so much fun as they're taking Adam around 
his new garden home. And they bring him certain places and they say, look what we created for you here. And it's like showing a child the zoo. The amazement and the wonder is there on his face. And he's like, that is so cool. And God brings him an animal. And he says, what are you going to call this one, Adam? He's like, I, I don't know, giraffe. All right, these are giraffes. And they bring him to another part of the garden. He's like, well, what are we going to call this one? Uh, I don't know, uh, raccoon. And they go through the entire garden. And Adam begins to notice something. He begins to notice that somehow there is two of everything that God asked him to name. And there's only one of him. And as he hits this realization, God touches Adam on his shoulder, and Adam slowly wilts back down to the ground. And God begins surgery again, and he, he takes his finger, and he cuts open Adam's side. And out of Adam's side, he pulls a rib, and he holds the rib, and then he begins to mold and just bend the rib. And as he's molding and bending, he creates woman. And the first thing she sees is God. And then God says, I have a surprise for you. Hang on. And so she's standing over there, and God goes back down to Adam and closes the rib, the hole, and he wakes him up. And Adam wakes up, not quite sure what just happened to him. And, whoa! Oh my, that's me! That's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. The first time he sees Eve, he is totally blown away. There was other things in this garden that were beautiful, but she took the cake. She was gorgeous. I didn't, and Adam just couldn't explain it. And the first day comes, and their first day of life comes to a close. And God tucks them in, in their garden home. And he says, I'll be back tomorrow. And the first full day that they have of life, they spend, and it is so much fun. They get to hang out with God all day. And he begins to tour them around the planet, and he takes them different places. We couldn't even go as far as they went in one day because God was there. And so he would zip them from different parts of the planet, and he would show them different amazing sights, amazing things. And it was just so cool. And that's how it was. Every seven days, they got this special date day with God. God would come. He would come every evening, of course. But one whole day, he would spend the whole day with them. Adam and Eve just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed life. Turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 1. Let me ask, how were Adam and Eve created? How were they created? Genesis chapter 1, page 1, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have everybody help me because we're going to read a few verses here and I want to figure out what the theme is. So if you're willing to read one verse, raise your hand. All right. So... You're going to read chapter 1, verse 4, and chapter 1, verse 10, chapter 1, um, verse 12, Who's, who else do we, chapter 1, verse 18, chapter 1, verse 
verse 21, and chapter 1, verse 25, one more person. All right, so let's read those really quick. Starting with four? Yeah, starting with number four. All right. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. All right, chapter 10. God called the dry ground land and the water seas, and God saw that it was good. All right. Chapter 12. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind, and, saw, and God saw that it was good. All right. Verse 21. Big mouth. So God created great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing in which the waters teems, according to their lands and every winged bird, according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. All right. And then verse 25. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. All right, what's a common theme running through all of these verses? It was good. So everything that God did was good. It was real good. But then let's look at verse 31 in the same chapter, and I'm going to read that for us. Verse 31 says, And God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. This is the day he just finished creating Adam and Eve. So, God created us, and when he created us, we were very good. We are not just okay. We didn't have a few defects. We were very good. And if we look at how humans were created, what we were meant to be like, let's look at chapter 1, verse 26. Chapter 1, verse 26 says, And then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us, they will reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So what God did when he created human beings, he not only created us very good, he not only created us perfectly, but he created us to be his image. Something that's very interesting that we should know Kings, what they would do to mark their territory when they had conquered a new land, they would put their image around on things. They would put their image on the money. They would build statues on themselves and place them all over the place. And so what God was doing was he was marking the earth. He was saying, this belongs to me. This is my earth. These are my people. We represent God's image. And God is very good. So if we were created good, we were created perfect. And God is good and he is perfect. How did we end up so messed up? What happened? You know, we were created for relationships because we are created in God's image. And it, like we talked about yesterday, it takes plural. It takes God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit to create God's image. And so for us to be most complete, it takes male and female. God designed us to be in relationships with him, and he designed us to be in relationships with others. Well, something happened. 
Adam and Eve are walking around one day, and we have no idea how long it was after God introduced them to their garden at home. And God had told them, there's one rule, only one rule. You can't eat of the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's the only thing. Just don't eat of it. Don't. Anything else you can have, everything else is good for you to eat. Just don't eat that. And Adam and Eve, as they're walking around one day, somehow they find themselves in the middle of the garden, hanging out together, and they're looking. And as they're looking, there's a tree. And they know they're not supposed to be there, but they just feel an impulse. And as they wander close to the tree, a voice says, Hey, how you doing today? And they look around. Oh, we're doing good. We're doing good. Who's talking? And then a a beautiful serpent sticks his head out of the tree. And he says, have you guys tried this fruit? It's awesome. Oh, no, 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 no. God told us we're not to eat that fruit. We're not even supposed to touch it. And the snake says, oh, God's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to know that when you eat this fruit, you become like God. You know both good and and evil. Oh, no, no, no. God just told us we're not supposed to eat the fruit. And the serpent continues to talk. Well, why wouldn't God want you to eat the fruit? What's he trying to keep you from? Why would it be here if it wasn't good to eat? You've eaten fruit from every other tree in the garden. And as the conversation goes on, a tail wraps around an apple and plucks it out of the tree. And then the tail swings around and ever so gently is waving the fruits. And Eve goes, hmm, it does look good. It looks really good. And she grabs the fruit, and she takes a bite, and it tastes good. Here, Adam, you try it. He takes the fruit, and he takes a bite, and instantly, what just happened? I don't know, but don't look at me like that. I don't want you to see me. And they both instinctively begin to hide. And the first bush they find is, uh, oh, they, they just hide behind this bush. And they grab fig leaves, and they're small, and they're kind of prickly, but it's the only thing they can find. And so they begin to try to grab branches and tie them around themselves. And just as this is happening, the sun begins to go down, and it's that time when God would spend time with them. And they hear... God's footsteps in the garden. And as they hear it, Adam's like, hide! And so they go and hide. And God, you can hear it in his voice. Adam, Eve, where are you? Did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat from? And very sheepishly, they peek their heads out. Adam's the first to talk. It's the woman you gave me, God. She gave me the fruit, and I ate it. And before God could even respond, Eve chimes in, Oh, no, 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 it's not my fault. It's that snake you made, that serpent. He gave me the fruit, and I ate it. And God, with a little tear in his eye, looks at the serpent and says, You're going to be cursed. You're going to spend your days groveling in the dirt, crawling on your belly. And her offspring 
You will bruise his heel and he will crush your head. Not too sure what that meant. Adam and Eve are standing there. Not sure what these new feelings of anger and embarrassment are all about. And then God looks at them. And he looks at Eve and says, I'm sorry to tell you this, sweetie. But it's going to be even harder for you to have babies. And he looks at Adam. He says, making a living is going to be hard. One choice. One choice was all it took. How come it was only one choice? Why... What, what was the big deal with eating the fruit? Was the big deal the fruit was poisonous, that they were going to surely die? Um, what was the big deal? They didn't appear to drop dead from cyanide poisoning or something else. The big deal was the same thing that Satan used in heaven. The same thing was you can't trust God. He doesn't care about you. He's not looking out for your best interests. You've got to take care of yourself. And that same principle haunts our world today over and over and over again. Almost in every society you find it. You know, you can't, let, you can't trust somebody else. You can't, if you don't take care of yourself, no one's going to take care of you. So I don't care who you trample on the way to the top. You just have to get to the top. This idea pervades itself because there's a lack of trust. Sin entered the world through one choice. Now, what did this sin look like? Will you turn with me to Genesis chapter 3? That's page 4. Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to read verse 6. And it describes what was so tempting about this fruit. And we have the same problem with sin today. This fruit, it says in Genesis chapter 6, And the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it too. This lists three things that are so common about sin. First of all, it looked good. Satan has a real big habit of disguising things and making them look real nice and pretty. And like little kids, we want to reach out and touch that really pretty glowing thing on the stove because it's nice and red, but we don't realize that when we grab the pretty thing that we're going to burn our hands. And so even though sin looks good and it looks pretty, God has told us not to touch it. But beyond that, it looked like it tasted good. And we all want to take care of ourselves. We all need to, you know, benefit. You know, we have to take care of our needs. So it's okay if I trample a few people because I have to take care of my family. Sin always disguises it as if it's going to benefit us in some way or another. And then it says it was desirable for wisdom. Not only that, not only will it benefit my family, but I'm going to get to the top where I can be an influence and I can help other people. Sin does this all the time. And Satan is still using the same results. So what happened as soon as sin entered the world? 
And this is the same thing that sin does to each one of us. The very first thing is that it opened Adam and Eve's eyes to good and evil. It did. They instantly saw a difference. They felt ashamed. They were ashamed of their nakedness. Had they had clothes on that all of a sudden disappeared? No, they didn't. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, you know, it just says all of a sudden, at that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt ashamed at their nakedness. Sin separates us from God's presence. And so the presence that was surrounding them was dropped. And so what they did is they went and they grabbed the closest thing they could to try to cover up their sin, which is what we often try to do in our lives. If there's something we can cover it up with, we're going to do it. Because, you know, if it's somebody else's fault, that's so much better. Or if nobody knows about it, then it just didn't happen. But God knows. And so Adam and Eve, they grabbed fig leaves. And I was doing research, and fig leaves are prickly, and they're small, and they're probably the absolutely worst leaf that they could have picked to cover themselves up with. But that's what happens when we're running, when we're, when we're trying to cover up a mistake. We're not thinking all that clearly. It's not the time when we're, we've got our logical hats on. We're just grabbing the closest thing by to help us get through. And so the effects of sin continue to go on. They hear God walking in the garden in verse 8. And instead of what was typical for them, for them longing and wanting to be with God, this sin, this one choice that they made had driven a wedge in between them, and so now they were afraid of God. A God of love, a God who has done everything for us, instantly, because of one choice, they were scared of him. Satan had effectively drawn a wedge. And one of the things that's so amazing to me is when we're, when we're sinning, that's when we need God the most. But what happens most of the time is when we're sinning, that's when we want to stay away from God the most. I was talking to one of my friends a little while ago, and she said that this summer some things had happened in her life, and she, you know, she'd kind of drifted away from God. And she says, I've grown up believing that God, it doesn't matter how bad you are, no matter what you can do, God will always take you back. She's like, but this summer, I felt that I'd messed up so bad. And my mind kept saying, no, God will take you back. Just go back. But my heart and my body wouldn't let me go back because God just couldn't forgive me. I'm like, what was it so wrong that you did? And she's like, well, I haven't been going to church as often as I should have been. I mean, it's not even something that any of us would consider a huge sin. But Satan will take the minutest thing and say, "Uh, uh-uh, no, um, you messed up. God doesn't want to be around you. He'll be mad at you, so you should stay away. Probably should hide from God. And then when God does find them, and the moment God tries to ask them, and he's trying to get them to fess up to what they've done wrong, the very first thing that happens to all of us is Adam goes, her fault. And Eve goes, oh, no, no, it's not my fault. It's his fault. Because... The lie that Satan said has already permeated, the disease has already permeated them so much where it's self-preservation. It doesn't matter who I climb on in the way, I've got to be safe. And this is what sin has done to each one of us. And so, not only are they afraid of the one person that can help them, they're lying to God, and they're trying to shift the blame. So, 
there's consequences. And those consequences weren't just for them. Those consequences are for us too. We get to live in a world for one choice that was made that is full of sin where our original natures, the natures that were like God's, that were loving, that you know, enjoyed God's presence, that were perfect, they're marred. And now we have a sinful nature. And that sinful nature does us absolutely nothing but tear us down and pull us away from God. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. That's page 915. Romans chapter 5. We're going to read verse 17. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. It says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. You guys hear that? It's, you know, sin of one person caused death to rule over all of us. Kind of hopeless, don't you think? No, we have to keep reading that verse. It says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it and will live in triumph over sin and the death through this one man, Jesus Christ. The very beautiful thing, even though at that one choice, all of our natures were instantly marred and we instantly become sinful and we instantly become selfish instead of loving we talked about yesterday that god is love and if we're selfish that's the complete polar opposite love and selfishness can't coexist it doesn't work that way so if we are in ourselves are selfish and unloving and god is love there is this wedge between us but god because he loves us so much and he wanted a relationship with us he built redemption in He built redemption in when he was talking to Adam and Eve that very day. He says in Genesis chapter 3 that the serpent's heel would be, uh, that the serpent would bruise the heel of the offspring and the offspring would crush his head. And that is foreshadowing Jesus' death on the cross. Satan thinks he wins when Jesus is strung up on the cross. And when he's hanging there on that hill, Satan is having a little party. But then he's put in the grave. And Satan knows all of the prophecies about Jesus. And he's got to be very careful. And so he has guards stationed outside. And he has as many demons around the tomb as possible. Because he's got to keep Jesus in the tomb. Because if he can keep him in the tomb, he's won. But... As the Bible tells us, Jesus doesn't stay in the tomb and he rises again. So even though he was bruised, Satan is ultimately crushed. And so the beautiful thing is, is we have a choice. Will you turn with me to Galatians chapter 5? Galatians chapter 5. And we got to write down where it was. 9.50, all right. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, The sinful nature wants to do evil, 
which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us the desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting with each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation of the law of Moses. This talks to us about even though our sinful natures are in complete contrast to God, that God has not quit fighting for us. He sent the Holy Spirit to come down and continually remind us, no, even though when you sin, you feel like you've got to pull away from me, that's the time you need to lean towards me because I'm the only one who can change it. And the Holy Spirit begins his process of pulling us closer to God. It's an amazing thing, really. If I was God, and I'd created this beautiful world, and I'd given these humans a place to inhabit, and it was perfect, and I told them one rule, only one rule, don't eat of that tree, and then they went and ate of it, I'd have been enough with them. Throw them out. But God loves us so much. And he wants a relationship with us. He's not about to let our natural inclinations keep us from that relationship. And so he made a way. And there, with Adam and Eve in the garden, he says, fig leaves just aren't going to do. I have to show you something. And he takes them and he says, "Where where are the lambs? And Adam and Eve go, oh, you should see one of some of the new ones. There's babies that were just born. And so they take God over, and they take him to the lambs, and there's, there's accumulated quite a few now. And Adam and Eve are naming them, and they're saying, well, this one, this one does this, and that one does this, and this one, and you should see him jump. And God says, find, find one and, and bring it to me. And not knowing at all what's going to happen, Eve's like, this one's my favorite. And as she picks up the lamb, she takes him over to Jesus. And Jesus says, this is what you've done. And he takes out a knife, and he cuts the lamb's throat. And Eve starts bawling, what did you do? And Jesus says, the wages of sin is death. Every time you sin, Someone has to pay the price. Every time you sin, you've got to do this again. And he takes that little lamb and he skins it and he makes them clothing out of the lamb. And then they have to wear their pet. A constant reminder of what they did. And a constant reminder of what is going to happen to Jesus. And he explains to them there is hope. I love you so much that there is hope. Yeah, you're going to have a really tough life now, but there is hope. This is going to happen to me, and when this happens to me, you're going to have a choice of whether or not you want to be in a relationship with me. I want to tell you something today, that you are not good enough on your own. Paul tells us in Romans that the things I want to do, I can't do, and the things I'm not supposed to do are the things I end up doing. Because, you know, Paul is one of the great figures of the Bible, and he can't get it right. We're not good enough on our own. The only way that we can overcome our sinful nature is through the Holy Spirit directing us and us listening to that Spirit. God says even if you try really, really hard, you're not going to be able to figure it out. 
Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah chapter 64, page 604. Isaiah chapter 64, page 604. Page six, uh, 64, verse 6. And it says, We are infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. This is telling us that the good things we do, they're like filthy rags. And what the author is actually saying is it's like menstrual rags. He's saying, the good stuff you do on your own, it's like handing God a used sanitary napkin, saying, look at what I did. They're nothing. But God loves us so much, he built a contingency in. The challenge I have for you guys tonight, the dares that I want you to pull out the envelopes in your binders, and I want you to Acknowledge whether you accept these dares. Do you accept the dare to recognize that your sinful nature is in complete opposition to God? Do you accept the dare to say that I am not satisfied to live with my sinful nature in control? Do you accept the dare to say I choose to surrender my sinful nature to God and to follow Him? And I want to remind you that even though we're really messed up, doesn't matter how good you think you are or how bad you think you are. God has a contingency plan for us. You've been listening to The Disciple Dare from Pastor Jennifer Deans. We hope this message encouraged you as you learn to follow in Jesus' footsteps. If you'd like to learn more about how you can take the dare, drop by ViennaSDA.org. There you'll find resources to get connected to others like yourself and to help in your spiritual journey.